Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. Let us pray. Father, we come now to consider your word, to consider your truth and love to encounter something that challenges our souls and calls us to grow. So the Lord be with us as we take time to be in a dialogue with you that you might speak into our hearts, breathe that breath that comes from you um, onto our persons that we might look a little more like your son, Jesus. These things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a favorite Christmas movie out there? I have several favorite Christmas movies, and I know that this is not the Christmas season, but as I really pondered this week's sermon, um, I, I look, one of my all-time favorites is uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, with, and you know old Clark W. Griswold, right? You know, one of my favorite scenes in that, in that uh, movie is when Clark uh, finally gets the lights on his house to come together. It goes like that, and he gets the lights to come on. Now, remember, this is a high-tech sermon, so let me show you a picture of what that looked like. There he is. He finally gets those lights to come on. He finally plugs them in. The whole house lights up. Y'all remember what song comes on? Hallelujah! Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you know, and a whole family comes out and the house looks like this. It's just insane. I mean, oh, that's not close enough. Let me get that closer. It's just the whole house. It just, you can see it's so bright. You can see it from space, right? I love that. The family comes out to view the, the lights. Clark's wife, Ellen, his children, Audrey and Rusty, Clark's mother and father. I love the scene with Clark's father when Clark's dad looks at him with a great big smile on his face and he says, it's a butte, Clark. And Clark responds to his father, you taught me everything I ever knew about exterior illumination. I love that scene. It's awesome. Then Clark moves to his mother-in-law. Um, who's had just a little too much to drink, but she still affirms Clark's joy. And then, then Clark gets to his father-in-law. Here's a picture of Clark with his father-in-law. I'll get it close so you can see it. See the look on Clark's face. He's so proud of what he's done. You see look on his father-in-law's face, right? All the joy and hard work is in the air. Everyone is enjoying Clark's Christmas masterpiece. And he comes to his father-in-law. And the only thing his father-in-law, Art, can think to say to him is this. The little lights aren't twinkling, Clark. 
Do you know people like that? The little lights aren't twinkling. Like no matter how good something is or how hard you've worked or, or how joyful you are about something, they come along and with one nasty or well-placed negative comment, they try to steal your joy. They try to steal your hallelujah chorus. Joy stealers. Those of you that are familiar with the movie, does, does Clark let art steal his joy? No, Art's words, they sting a little bit. You can see that on Clark's face, but Art says, the little lights aren't twinkling, Clark. And, and Clark says, I know, Art. Thanks for noticing. And then Clark presses on. As Paul begins chapter 3 of Philippians, he writes, Finally, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I'd encourage you to underline that word finally. In the Greek, it's loipos. It, it, it's, it also means what remains at last or from now on. From now on. This is so important. Paul says, from now on, rejoice in the Lord. From now on, rejoice in the Lord. And I would also encourage you to underline that word safeguard. In the Greek, it's asphalos. It's just where we get the word asphalt from. It's firm, it's sure, it's steady, it's immovable. Dirt roads could get washed away, but it's a whole lot more difficult for an asphalt road to get washed away. From now on, rejoice in the Lord. It's no problem for me to tell you this over and over because it's the safest place to stand, Paul says. From now on, don't let anyone steal your joy, the joy that has been gifted to you by Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone try to take it away, but stand firm in it like on asphalt, for joy is the safest place to stand, especially in trying circumstances. And we are in trying circumstances, aren't we, brothers and sisters? You know, in the early church, there was a group of joy stealers that infiltrated or, or almost infiltrated about every church that Paul ever planted. They were called Judaizers. And Judaizers were Jewish Christians that believed very strongly that if Gentiles became Christian, they had to first become Jewish. Otherwise, they weren't actually Christians. Gentile men would have to be circumcised, which I hear leaves a mark, and everyone would have to follow Jewish law in order for the kingdom of heaven to be entered. This was a false teaching. And Paul confronted this false teaching in almost every one of his letters, including this letter to the Philippians. Now, the reason this false teaching is, uh, the reason this was a false teaching is because we are not saved by what we do. We are not saved by what we do, but by who we follow, Jesus if we believe in Jesus, we are born again by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, like on that day of Pentecost, and we become a citizen in God's kingdom. We inherit eternal life, and that eternal life begins renovating our souls on this side of heaven 
so that when we receive the room Jesus has prepared for us on the other side of heaven, we are completely whole in him. Since you don't have to be Jewish in order to believe in Jesus, then anyone can receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. This is God's gift to the world because God so loved the world. Paul firmly confronts this false teaching of the Judaizers in verses 2 through 4 of today's scripture lesson. He says, watch out for those dogs. I can almost hear Southern in his voice. Dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. We are the circumcision. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. But over and over in the Old Testament, what was important to God was the circumcision of the heart, not the flesh. Paul says, we are the circumcision, meaning that we who have followed Jesus have entered into that spiritual relationship with God the Father. We worship by the Spirit, Paul says. The Spirit is the energy of God inside of us that's motivating us and focusing us. We glory in Jesus. We boast not in rule following or what we've done, but what is being done for Jesus' sake. And we put no confidence in what we can do, but what God can do in all situations at all times. No matter what bad thing might be happening in the world, God can flip that thing and use it for his good purposes. Paul would go on to talk about his life before coming to faith in Jesus and how he had no joy. Only the pride and the self-righteousness of being one of Israel's most zealous Pharisees. So zealous was Paul that he hunted down Christians. He was a terrorist before Jesus. Yet when Paul chose to follow Jesus and share the good news with non-Jewish people, he watched the Holy Spirit save Gentile after Gentile after Gentile and people and towns and cities and nations. And he knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for anyone, anywhere, no matter the person. Paul reminded the Philippians that from now on, rejoice and don't let anyone steal your joy. So, Randy, what do Judaizers have to do with us? Well, the church in Paul's generation may have been the first to deal with false teaching, but they aren't the last. You see, every generation has to confront false teaching because false teaching is a threat. It's a threat. It's a threat to the joy that Jesus gives us. Anytime anyone says to you, well, if your church doesn't do it like this, then you're not getting into heaven. Anybody ever encountered that stuff out there? Hmm? By well-intentioned Christians, perhaps? Some folks out there say, if you drink coffee or Coke or anything with caffeine, you're not getting into heaven. Some say if you don't forsake technology, including but not limited to electricity, automobiles, and wearing clothes from the 1800s, you're not getting into heaven. 
Some say if you don't go door to door and tell other people that don't go to your church that they're going to go to hell, then you're not getting into heaven. If you are not married and produce a family, you're not getting into heaven. Some would say that. Some say if your church has musical instruments in the sanctuary, you're not getting into heaven. Some churches say if you don't call God Yahweh and call Jesus Yeshua, you're not getting into heaven. Some churches say if you were baptized as an infant, you're not getting into heaven. Some churches say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not getting into heaven. Some churches say if you had sex before marriage, you're not getting into heaven. Some churches say if you have an abortion, you're not getting into heaven. Some churches say if you don't look like me and think like me and act like me and love like I do, you're not getting into heaven. Brothers and sisters, don't be swayed. Don't be swayed by any teaching that says if you don't follow certain rules and behave in exactly this way, you'll never get into heaven. Don't let anyone or any group steal the joy that Jesus has given you. Listen to what Paul has to say about this kind of false teaching. Paul says, I consider them rubbish, trash. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul is clear. Everything else but following Jesus Christ is rubbish. More importantly, to gain Christ is to be found in Jesus, meaning you've given your life to Jesus through faith, recognizing that there is no righteousness, there is no thing you can do to earn your way into heaven. It, you can only receive that which God is offering. This is what we call justification. We are made righteous by a relationship, by receiving the faith that Jesus alone can offer and not by rule following or good works. In other words, it's not what you do or what you don't do, but who you know that gets you into heaven. But as Paul reminds us, we don't merely get into heaven. Heaven gets into us. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ in a life-changing way, not just in the future, but right now. First, at conversion, believers experience the power of a spiritual resurrection. We are given new life. A new spiritual energy characterizes the person that follows Jesus. Yet this powerful life only begins at our conversion, brothers and sisters. Successively and progressively, the moral life is also changed for the follower of Jesus. Then our physical body ultimately transformed in death and believers are brought to the eternal resting place of resurrection, which is heaven itself. 
Resurrection doesn't happen all at once. It happens progressively. Paul says, brothers and sisters, this is good news of great joy. We have a goal set before us. Our resurrection. And when we have a goal, then we have something towards which we can press. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect. Paul acknowledges his own brokenness, right? Not that I got all this, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing, straining on towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now listen, if you've got your Bible, I want you to underline where it says press on. It happens a couple of times there. The word is literally pursue. Pursue. It means to go after with earnestness and diligence. Listen, does anybody else out there love goals? Not like football goals or soccer goals. I mean, like, I like to achieve things kind of goals. I love having goals. I love working toward goals. I like working on accomplishments. And while achieving a goal is nice, there's one thing that's come with every single, single thing, every single goal I've ever set. And that's once I've accomplished whatever it is I set out to do, I'm always really, really sad. Because then I have to figure out a new goal. Y'all, this is why I love walking with Jesus so much. Because my goal, my goal, my life's goal, it's on the other side of death. My goal, which is Jesus' gift to me, my goal is resurrection. And for the rest of my life, I will be pursuing that goal as I walk with Jesus. And so no matter the circumstance, no matter the circumstance, I always have this goal to pursue. I always have the joy of pressing toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, in two weeks, in two weeks, we get to come back together in public worship in this space. Our public worship experience is not going to be like it was. And while there is now a protocol for how worship is going to be carried out beginning on June 14th, there are so many unknowns that I might go crazy before then. There are so many details that have to be carried out that I might go crazy before then. So many things have to take place for our reunion on the 14th to be a success. But you know what? All the details all the unanswered questions, knowing that somehow the plan will probably change because plans always change, <laughs> knowing that some people will be unhappy and fuss about my leadership, either to my face or behind my back, 
knowing that I'm going to be able not to be able to shake your hands, knowing I'm not going to be able to give you a hug, knowing that we're going to have to wear face masks, knowing that some of you are going to be unable to attend because you are among the most vulnerable, knowing that this is not the reunion we really desire to have, the one we long for, where all of us can be together at the same time, free from masks, free from social distance, and all the other pandemic stuff. This may not be the worship experience that we want, but it is the worship experience we are being given, and so I rejoice. I rejoice. I rejoice because I can't wait to see you. Even if your face is covered up right here. Some say I actually look better with a mask on. See? Yeah, mm -hmm. Much prettier. <laughs> I rejoice because we're going to be able to worship in our newly renovated sanctuary, even though the rest of our building is in a complete mess. I rejoice because we as individuals and as a faith community, we together have a goal. A goal to which we are all pursuing together as a community, and that's resurrection. And so I'm not going to let anybody steal my joy. Mm -mm. I'm not going to let anybody steal my joy. And I would ask you, Please don't try and steal anyone else's joy. Paul writes, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Friends, rejoice. Choose joy, especially right now. To choose joy doesn't mean you're not being honest about the circumstances that all of us are in. It just means you're choosing to live into that gift that God has given you in spite of your circumstances. Let's be mature. Let's share the joy of pressing on together toward our resurrection. Like Paul says, from now on, Let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's rejoice in the Lord. And this is the word of God seriously considered this day for the Church of Christ community and all with ears to hear. All thanks and praise be to the living God, now and forever. Amen.